Many of you that uh, have been in Missouri for a few years now probably uh, remember when uh, a few years back people just flocked to Missouri. All right, and pretty significant event, right? People don't normally flock to Missouri, right? I mean, I know at least that's my perspective, right? Unless it's the Chiefs' plane or um, a solar eclipse, right? And so a few years back, a solar eclipse happened in. Uh, throughout the planet, but Missouri was a great place to be able to view that solar eclipse because here was the path where uh, you could actually see it fully eclipse the sun. Um, and and there, there is a unique kind of beautiful yet strangeness uh, to a solar eclipse. I mean, all of us enjoy, I think, be, seeing the just kind of the awe-inspiring wonder of that moment. When, when the moon finally passed in front and it went from like daylight to this weird twilight, there was something unique and beautiful. And, and yet, man, it was, it was also weird, right? Like the animals and insects started like going a little crazy because it was suddenly like they went into nocturnal mode. Um, and, and the reality is, is like that's not how it's supposed to be. And so there was this strangeness to what was actually happening. Because in reality, if, if the moon was to block the sun like that, to stay eclipsed like that, though there is a little bit of light, it would be terrible for life. Though it's this amazing thing that we get excited, people flock to Missouri and see it, and, um, and, and we, we celebrate it. Like, if it stayed that way, it would be terrible for life. It would be blocking the life-giving light of the sun. The lesser light of the moon provides no life of its own. It's similar to this. How often do we seek to find joy in lesser lights, especially our own? And we end up eclipsing the light of the sun, Jesus. As we seek lesser lights, we, we seek to be the, the light ourselves. How often do we find our joy in shifting attention off the hero of the story to ourselves by trying to be the hero of the story or finding some other hero other than Jesus? Ultimately, it never satisfies. Just like a solar eclipse, like if it stayed that way, the life-giving light is blocked out when we become the hero of the story or when other lesser lights become the hero of the story. And here we get one last glimpse at John the Baptist in this gospel. For three short verses, John talks about his perspective on the situation, but then he proceeds to talk about Jesus for the next six. John is obsessed with Jesus. He knows who the real hero of the story is, and he allows the light of Jesus to eclipse him and his ministry. John had been on the scene doing good work, living out the calling of God. He wasn't out of alignment with that. What he recognized was that his role was to allow Jesus to eclipse him. That's what he wanted. He needed to step out of the way while Jesus eclipsed him because John serves as this living example in this gospel of a life and joy that come from allowing Jesus to eclipse us, allowing Jesus to shine through us rather than us getting the glory. In fact, I think one of the primary ways that John lets Jesus eclipse him is letting Jesus be the hero of the story, even when his disciples don't want him to. They come and they look at him as the hero, right? They, like they've left all kinds of stuff to follow after John the Baptist. Just like Jesus' disciples would leave everything to follow after him, John's disciples have gone and followed after this guy that, that had been living in the desert with wild and crazy hair, eating locusts and honey, right? Like, 
Like, they probably looked like crazy people to all their family and friends, too. They had given up a lot for, to follow after John and his ministry. And how tempting it would have been for John in that moment when his disciples come running and, and try to defend his ministry and try to defend his validity as the hero. How tempting would it have been for him to embrace that recognition that they're wanting to give to him, especially in all that he had done, right? Living that kind of life in the desert, suffering in so many ways, a ministry that would eventually would imprison him, according to this passage, a ministry that would eventually lead to his beheading. How tempting it is for me and for us, I think, as a whole. I don't think I'm alone in this. And in some form or fashion, we've all envisioned ourselves as the hero of the story, right? Like what little kid doesn't imagine themselves as the superhero or the Disney princess that saves the day? But that's not where life is found. See, John the gospel writer, not the Baptist, but John the gospel writer wants us to find true life, right? We come back to that summary passage at the end of this gospel time and time again that he wrote these things so that we might believe and that by believing we may have life, life in Jesus. And so John the gospel writer wants us to find that life and in part it's that complete joy that John refers to here in this passage. That therefore my joy is now complete. So John the writer is pointing us through John the Baptist to how that kind of complete joy can be found, how full life can be found. Verses 29 and 30, we see John say, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Rather than John eclipsing Jesus or trying to fight to do so, he allows Jesus. He steps back into the background and allows Jesus to eclipse him full on. John the Baptist and, and the, John the author of this gospel both are pointing us to this reality here that we, we must discover the joy of making Jesus the hero of our story. Like that's the whole point of this text. Is, is that the, the, the author of this gospel wants us, he wants you to discover the joy of making Jesus the hero of your story rather than yourself. And so before we dive into breaking down this text this morning and walking through it in detail, I, I want to take a moment to pray that God will give us eyes to see where we make ourselves the hero of the story and we eclipse Jesus rather than letting him eclipse us. So if you will, pray with me. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just your life-giving truth that fills every word of every page from scripture. I thank you for this text in particular that you've given to us, this picture of John the Baptist, Lord, to point us to what, what a full, complete joy in Jesus looks like and how to live that out. God, I pray that we would be humbled by this text, that we would be convicted by your Holy Spirit this morning to, to root out any area in our life where we're looking to the wrong heroes, the lesser heroes other than Jesus, where we're, we're looking and hoping that we can be the hero in other people's lives. Lord, fill me with your spirit this morning that I might proclaim your truth with clarity so that we each might be transformed by the power of your spirit working through your word. Lord, make us more like Jesus, not so that we can be the hero, 
but so that others can see that he's the hero and that he deserves the glory due his name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the beginning of this passage is we're seeking to discover the joy of making Jesus the hero of our story. It starts with this, this verses 22 to 26. It's kind of the setup that John does for us here, in which this is what we see. Jesus' ministry eclipses John's. This is what's happening here. Finally, like, like we've seen John the Baptist's ministry some, and he points to Jesus, and then we see the beginnings of Jesus' ministry over the past few weeks, and now we're at this point where suddenly like Jesus' ministry is beginning to eclipse John, and we see that after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, and was baptizing. And that's what John did, right? Like, that's what John's disciples are like, what, like what in the world? This is, this is our guy's thing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. See, John had been the man. Like, he had been the one that everyone in Israel was talking about, that people were flocking to the deserts to come and hear preach and teach. And now suddenly... That was beginning to change. Jesus was on the scene. I mean, this is the one that John had existed for. I mean, the whole purpose that he was created for was to point to Jesus. That role hadn't changed, though. But the problem was is his disciples had lost sight of what John's role really was. See, in this passage, like, like John still was playing a role, right? Like he was still baptizing. He was still having the opportunity to point to Jesus. Water was plentiful there. Author writes. So there was plenty of room for, for John to continue his ministry of, of water baptism that points to the spirit baptism that Jesus is providing. There's still a place for him. He remained faithful to that role with joy, as we see teased out in the rest of the passage. But what we see in this passage in John's disciples is that joy is fleeting when it's rooted in the wrong hero. Joy is fleeting. When it's rooted in the wrong hero. That's what we see in verses 25 to 26. Is, as John's disciples are seeing this, a discussion arises among some of his disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. Like John's disciples are freaking out in this moment. We got to hear that tone in the text, like like they are freaking out. Because, I mean, in part, we know they're freaking out because they're distorting reality, right? Because just a few verses earlier, the the, the writer expresses the fact that Jesus is baptizing, and and also John the Baptist is still baptizing, and yet his disciples are like like everyone's leaving us, which wasn't even the reality of the situation. But their hope, their attention, had shifted. Their joy was in the wrong hero. And I think when we find that joy is fleeting when it's rooted in the wrong hero because of a couple of things that happen in our hearts. One, when we root our joy in lesser heroes, like the, John's disciples were rooting their joy in him rather than in Jesus, they were disappointed and disillusioned when Jesus began to eclipse him. Disappointment and disillusionment result when we root our joy in lesser heroes other than Jesus. Because lesser heroes will fail us. Like every other human being will, will fail us. They'll fail to live up to our expectations for them, our hopes for them, and our lives. 
they will eventually be overshadowed by Jesus. That's the good news. That's good news. But we often, in the moment, just like John's disciples, freak out. And our lesser heroes, they won't always get it right. But for many of us, I mean, really the bigger issue is this. The bigger issue is that we root our joy in ourselves being the hero. And that's a crushing burden. Anxiety, depression, burnout, all result when we root in our joy in being the hero for other people. In being the one who has to have it all together. The one who has to take care of everyone else, who has to spin all the plates, who has to win the approval of others, who others rely on. Like, we want that. We want to have that identity of, like, I'm the one that is needed. And over time, like, that will slowly but surely crush us. Like a drip, drip, drip. I'm going to ask him to play a song um, by uh, the great Lin-Manuel Miranda, because I think it captures so well this reality in our life. So please just play it for us. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. I move mountains, I move churches, and I glow cause I know what my worth is. I don't ask how hard the work is, got a rough indestructible surface. Diamonds and platinum, I find them, I flatten them, I take what I'm handed, I break what's demanded. But under the surface, I feel berserk as a tightrope walker in a three ring circus. Under the surface, was Hercules ever like yo, I don't wanna fight Cerberus. Sorry if you don't know that song, um, but um, I, we, have, we have played it, like, who knows how much money we've made for Lin-Manuel Miranda on Spotify, all right? Um, that song comes from Encanto, all right, the latest Disney movie that's come out, and um, Luisa, the one singing that song, has super strength in there, and she tries to carry, obviously, all the burdens on herself. She's trying to be the hero, and this pressure Builds and builds and builds on her. Later in the song, it says, line up the dominoes. A light wind blows. You try to stop it tumbling, but on and on it goes. But wait, if I could shake the crushing weight of expectations, would that free up some room for joy? She recognizes, like, she can't keep bearing this load. And that song is played so much, I mean, one, because little kids just love the tune, right? Like, I don't, like, Wyatt, my three-year-old, has no clue about the pressures, all right, that are building over time, all right? But, like, it resonates with you and me because, like, we have all felt that, right? Like, like, we have all tried to carry the burdens for other people. We've all tried to be the hero that does not crack under pressure, 
that doesn't let that last straw break the camel's back. How many of us can just relate to that in so many ways? Our expectations from others or ourselves are crushing our joy. They're crushing us. There's no room for joy under the crushing weight of others' expectations. When we try to own those, when we try to live up to those, when we have to be the hero, there's no room for joy. There's no room for the joy that John talks about. And so I just ask you this morning, what kind of weight are you taking on because you're trying to be the hero that you aren't meant to be, that only Jesus is meant to be? Church, we all have a role to play, and Jesus uses us to point him to him. But we aren't the hero. And we've got to repent. We've got to repent of trying to be the hero and try to, to, like, essentially what we're trying to do is eclipse Jesus like that solar eclipse. And I know, like, that's not what we're thinking through when we're trying to serve others and we're trying to, like, do everything and keep the plates spinning and all that sort of stuff. But, but how often are we doing it because, like, we want that pat on the back, because we want the recognition, because we want to feel needed because we want to be the hero that we all always dreamed of being as little kids. We've got to repent, not just because it's for our good, it's for our joy, right? Like that's, we're going to break that down and talk about why it's for our joy. And, but, but it's also, much more importantly, because Jesus is the only worthy and capable hero for our souls. And so we've got to repent of trying to be that for other people. Because Jesus is the one worthy of eclipsing John, and he's the one worthy of eclipsing each and every one of us. And that's what, we're actually going to skip over the middle of the passage, because what John does after he addresses some of his disciples' concerns is he highlights the fact that Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of eclipsing him. He starts this in verse 31, and he says, He who comes from above is above all. Talking about Jesus. He who comes from above is above all. John's saying Jesus is worthy of eclipsing you. He's worthy of every ounce of glory we could possibly give. He's worthy of being the hero. He's worthy of having everyone go after him. Even though that's not exactly what's happening, he's worthy of having everyone go after him, guys. Do you not get it? And then he goes on to break down why that's true. And he highlights over and over again from different angles how Jesus is the true and better hero. Jesus is the true and better hero. First off, because in verses 31 and 35, we see Jesus possesses the true and better strength. Jesus possesses the true and better strength. In the rest of verse 31, he says, He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. What John is getting at here, I think our minds typically, we we jump to thinking, okay, like, Earthly things sinful, heavenly things holy, right? Like that's, at least that's where my mind initially went. Um, and, and yet the, the picture here actually that, that, that he's trying to draw is earthly things are limited. Created things are limited. Jesus is the one from above and who's above all is limitless. His strength is unlimited. And so Jesus possesses the true and better strength. But then if we jump ahead to verse 35, too, we see that the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. He enjoys all power and authority. 
because he's been given it all by the Father. And so Jesus is, possesses the true and better strength. He is the true and better hero because Jesus' strength will not fail. He is capable of carrying the weight of every challenge that we face. And he's the one other people need, even as we come alongside other people. And we, we are called to support one another and, and bear one another's burdens, but we do that by pointing them to Jesus and by bringing them to Jesus. Because it's his yoke that is easy and his burden that is light. And so Jesus is the true and better hero because he possesses the true and better strength, but it's also because Jesus speaks the true and better word. Verses 32 to 33 Jesus speaks the true and better word. We see it here. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. See, Jesus was in heaven. So he's speaking to what he's seen and heard. It's a first-hand testimony. He's he, is God, and he's been in the presence with God, right? Remember the beginning of the Gospel of John was like, the word is God and was with God. And so he speaks from an authority that we can never speak from. He carry, his words carry the ultimate authority. He speaks with firsthand knowledge of a direct relationship with God. And so we can count on his word to be true without any mixture of error. That he... He's a hero that won't let us down because he has the full perspective of everything. Like he is set in the council room of God, the Father, and he knows and understands the whole scope of history. So that as I was reading a, um, a, a book this weekend talking about um, just evil in the world and things like that, that we often underestimate God and we overestimate evil. Je Jesus never does that. Like he has the perfect perspective. And so when Jesus speaks, and I'm not just talking about the red letters here. I'm talking about the full word of God from beginning to end. When we have Jesus' word, it's a word that we can count on to give us the right perspective. To give us the perspective that is life-giving. In a world that's filling us with messages from all over the place, he's the one that provides us with the message we need to write our perspective, to guide our path. Be the hero that sets us on that right path. And so we can trust and follow his word and his direction because he speaks a true and better word. He possesses a true and better strength. But then he also gives a true and better life. Verse 34 says this, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus gives the Spirit without measure in the context of, of the scope of this whole chapter. And we're going back to the earlier in the chapter where, where he's in this conversation with Nicodemus, where he's talking about speaking of earthly things versus heavenly things. It's intended um, even here as John the Baptist is, is referring to it. I believe the writer is, is drawing our minds back to that conversation with Nicodemus to remind us where true life is found in the kingdom of God that it requires being born again, that it requires being born of the Spirit, the one that Jesus gives without measure. See, Jesus is the one who gives true and better life. And far better than John the Baptist and anyone else who can simply point to the source of life, Jesus gives us the new birth that we need. He gives us the new life, the new identity that we need through the Spirit of God. 
because he gives the Spirit without measure. And so Jesus is the true and better hero because he possesses the, the, a greater strength. He possesses the true and better word, and he possesses the true and better life. Look, Jesus is capable. What John the Baptist is getting at here in this passage as he wraps it up in verse 36 is that Jesus is capable and worthy of being your hero. Before he's anyone else, he's capable of worthy of being your hero. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The latter half of that verse should awaken us to a reality that apart from belief in Jesus, we've all disobeyed God. We've all gone our own way. We've all sought life in the wrong heroes. We've all sought life in ourselves or whatever else it may be, whatever pursuit. We've been grasping at other things to provide joy and life other than God, apart from him. We've gone our own way. We've left the presence of God. We've chosen that path. And as a result, the wrath of God remains on us because we've defamed his name. We've said that he's not the worthy and capable hero that deserves our devotion and our following. We deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. No matter how good we think our lives are, no matter how bad we think our lives are, we all are in that state. But Jesus simply says this, and John the Baptist points us to this, that Jesus is capable. He's worthy of your utter devotion. He's worthy of not just your belief, like a head knowledge, but your trust that he can give you life. That if you would just turn from trusting yourself or trusting in other heroes and trust in Jesus, that, that what he did by living the life that you and I couldn't live, by living a life that, that was perfect and obedient to the Father, by living a life that resulted in him going to the cross and dying a death that he didn't deserve, that you and I actually deserve. He died that death and he took on that wrath. That wrath that remains on us, Jesus took it on himself on the cross. And he died and he rose again three days later so that we wouldn't have to die a death apart from God for all of eternity, but we could have eternal life. Like That's the good news, that Jesus is the hero that we need. And like Batman, he's not the hero we deserve, but he's the hero we need. Sorry, I saw the Batman this weekend. Uh, it was a lot darker uh, than that one. But, um, but anyway, uh, this Jesus is the hero that we need. He deserves our glory. And our greatest joy must be rooted in him. If you've never tasted of that joy, if you've never tasted of the goodness of God this, this morning, I just encourage you, like, take hold of Jesus. Let him be your hero. Let him rescue you from this wrath. Let him rescue you from the shame. Let him rescue you from the crushing weight of expectation that you've taken on in trying to live up to your parents' expectations or others or your own. Let Jesus rescue you from that and give you life abundantly for all of eternity by simply trusting in the good news of what he did when he died and rose again for you. And he'll give it to you. He'll give you that eternal life right here, right now. You don't have to wait to the end of the service. You don't have to talk to some pastor. You don't have to wait to kind of tidy yourself up. You can have that life right here, right now. If you just cry out to God in your seat, Lord, I need you to be my hero. I'm going to stop being my own. It's that simple. 
right? There's nothing special or magical in the exact words that you pray, but just that you would get at the heart of that before the Lord and that you would trust in Jesus to be your hero. But church, for those of us that have been walking with Jesus, that have found that life in him, how do we continue to walk a life in that joy and letting him continue to be that hero, right? Day in and day out, because it's so easy just to, to revert back moment, like in little ways to trying to be heroes for other people. But I think John the Baptist gives us an incredible model in verses 27 to 30. See, John embraces Jesus eclipsing him. John embraces Jesus eclipsing him because he embraces his identity. John embraces the identity that he's been given. In verse 27, we see that he's embraced an identity of being a steward. John answers them as they're freaking out. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John recognized like his ministry was not his own. He was a steward. He didn't own it. He had it all open-handed like this. God placed it in his hand and he carried it for as long as God would have it. And when it was time for him to take it away, he let him have it. He didn't grip onto it. And, and God didn't have to pry it from his fingers and break them back as he tried to hold on what wasn't his own. He embraced an identity of being a steward and walked open-handed with what God gave him a responsibility to carry for the time he called him to carry it. Look, every opportunity, success, talent, every degree of influence or person that we've invested in is God's to use how he sees best. It's not for us to control to ensure that the people we disciple or the people we serve like go the way that we hope them for them to go. Unless the way is just faithfulness to Jesus. But oftentimes that means some of the people we pour into are going to disagree with us because we're not the ones with the true and better word that have it all perfectly figured out. And so we've got to recognize that it's not about controlling, right? It's just about stewarding the responsibility, the people that God places in our lives, the responsibilities that he gives us, the opportunities that he gives us, and allowing God to use it as he sees best, to be faithful to what we're called to be. We've got to embrace the identity of a steward, just like John the Baptist. And then we've got to embrace this identity that he embraces of the friend of the bridegroom. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. And then he gives us this picture. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. The picture here is uh, back in that day, the friend of the bridegroom, this language here, was basically the equivalent of both the best man and the wedding coordinator. What a nightmare of a role to have, right? Like, I mean, geez. But um, that's what it was. Like, he was responsible not only for, like, like, like making sure that the, the groom is, like, enjoying everything and, like, things are going well, but, but he's got to make sure, like, the whole party doesn't, like, goes off without a hitch. And so he's saying, like, that's what I'm about. Like, I'm about making sure all of the attention gets set on the groom, on Jesus. His, like, John's great joy was not in drawing attention to himself, but in the presence and glory of the bridegroom. He wasn't the center of attention. This is the complete opposite of Michael Scott in The Office, right? Every wedding episode in that show, like, he's like, like, I am so excited about this wedding. Why? Not because Jim and Pam are getting married or whoever else is getting married, but because it's my opportunity to give a speech. I, I can't wait to give a speech, right? Like, that's Michael Scott, but this is not John the Baptist. Yet how many of us are more like Michael Scott 
than John the Baptist. That we get excited about opportunities to serve Jesus or, or there's this underlying motivation where we're just like, we're just a little bit hopeful that someone will notice like how great I'm doing in serving Jesus. That they'll, they'll notice that they, they really need me in their life. And we find that when We only find that, released from that, when we embrace our identity and role as a steward and a friend that points and rejoices in Jesus. See, joy is completed when Jesus is the hero of our story, and that's this core text here, right in the center. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Joy is completed in attention shifting from us to Jesus, and it being about his kingdom, not ours. His kingdom, not anthems. His kingdom, not our discipleship group. About his reputation, his glory, his praise, his name, not ours. Like if your name disappears off the face of everything, will you still be happy if Jesus is getting the glory? How do we know that we're loving and leading in a way that makes us or Jesus the hero of the story? Right, if, if that's where we find complete joy, like John, if that's where we find life is in letting Jesus be the hero of the story, how do we know whether we're loving and leading in a way that makes Jesus the hero? Well, here's a few questions to ask. One, are you concerned about getting the credit? Are you concerned about getting the credit for what you do, for the investment you make? Do you desire for people to depend on you? Do you desire to feel needed? to feel like other people are relying on you? Are you jealous when others succeed? When you're in a position of leadership, are you jealous when you see other people working on the same kinds of things and they're succeeding? Do you use your gifts when no one notices or only when you have a position? I think those are just some things to reflect on. I'm sure there's a million other questions we could come up with. But I think, I think most likely for many of us, like, like maybe you're trying to push it down, but the Holy Spirit can draw out what, what those things are, what we need to be hearing. And so I just want to end with how can we love and lead in a way that makes Jesus the hero? What are some practical handles for that? Some real simple ones, I think, from... John the Baptist here. One, we've got to depend on Jesus. We've got to acknowledge our need for him. Because it's not about how impressive, this is what my supervisor says all the time at work, it's not about how impressive we are or how well we can do the things we do, but it's all about how impressive Jesus is and how well he does the things he does. And so we've got to depend on him. We've got to have a radical dependence on Jesus and we've got to acknowledge our need for Jesus in front of others. Like John does here, I don't have one thing unless it's given to me from heaven. We're going to acknowledge that need. For, for me, a practice that um, I've seen in my supervisor's life and, and I'm trying uh, to begin to, um, to emulate myself is um, when, I, when I start getting asked questions from people I'm pouring into or from, um, from people in, in ministry situations, and I just am like, I feel completely out of my depth. <laughs> I just acknowledge that with them. 
rather than just trying to like kind of cover it up and act like I've got all the answers right and act like I can be the hero that, that they need, like I just say like, look, I, this, is, this is really difficult. And, and I think we need Jesus to like step in for both of us here. And so let's pray together and just ask him to do that. I just encourage you, like if you hit those moments, just invite people to pray with you for, for an answer, for what Jesus would give, for wisdom, as you then have the rest of the conversation. It's been amazing as I've done that just a few times recently to, to see how Jesus then provides clarity and wisdom to both of us in that situation. So depend on Jesus, number one, and make that dependence expressed to other people. But then number two, enjoy Jesus. Enjoy him. Like John enjoyed Jesus, right? Like it's just so evident in those six verses as he just kind of gets on this roll and is talking about how amazing Jesus is. Look, if you're not finding your joy in Jesus, you'll never want him to increase and you to decrease. Because you're going to be grasping onto all kinds of other things for joy. And so if your time with Jesus is not vibrant, if there is no time with Jesus in which you're enjoying him, then you'll never decrease and allow him to eclipse you. And so you've got to be enjoying him. You've got to fight for that joy. And I know that sometimes that is a fight. Invite others into your life. Like, invite others to come alongside and help you. All right, don't look to them to be your hero. Ask them to help me look to Jesus. Help me enjoy Jesus. I don't even know exactly what that looks like. There's people here that would love to come alongside you so that you can enjoy Jesus. But lastly, we believe our mission here is, is to help people know, love, and obey Jesus, right? We're making disciples that make disciples. But as we raise people up, what are we doing with them? I believe the third way that we love and lead in a way that makes Jesus the hero is that we release those who we raise up. We release those who we raise up. Salt's heard a lot about this this semester. I'm stealing it from Salt and them. So, um, but we release those we raise up. Look, we're not here to raise up followers of us. If John the Baptist wasn't here for that, then we certainly aren't. But we're here to raise up followers of Jesus who were released for his purposes, not ours. Not for our ends. We're not pouring into people in order to get something done. We're pouring into people that they might be transformed to be more like Jesus and more in love with them. And when, we're, when we're pouring into people so that, so that they can do something for us, that's transactional. But we've got to be about transformational leadership and discipleship. That invests in people, that releases people as we raise them up. Because we're just stewards. We're just stewards. And so church, we have an incredible calling and we are invited into an amazing story. We're just not the heroes of it. When we try to make our own names and kingdoms great, we will be crushed every single time. But when we make much of the true king and his kingdom, we'll find a complete joy, a life-giving joy as we labor for King Jesus. So may we discover the joy of Jesus being the ultimate hero. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning so grateful, so thankful for God. Jesus is our true and better hero. And we pray that we would, we would learn to depend on him and enjoy him and to release those that you allow us to raise up, God, because they're yours. Lord, I pray that Jesus would be the hero of our stories. He would be our hero, and we would point others to him to be their hero, God. For your name's sake, for your kingdom's sake, for your glory and the good of others, as well as ourselves, God. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.